Hello. Welcome to Spice Bags, episode two, um, a podcast about Irish food culture from an international perspective. I'm Julia. I'm an income poop. <laughs> these, are my, these are your two hosts, May and Blanca. Hi, I'm Blanca. I'm a cooking instructor and a Spanish food researcher. I'm May. I'm a food writer and journalist. Um, and something that I don't know much about, but these guys brought to my attention and is really cool about Irish food is that so many cheeses here, as opposed to, let's say, in the U.S. or other European countries, are made by women. So our episode today, when we were brainstorming, I casually put this title on the top of the episode, Lady Cheese. And it's stuck. And it's stuck. So Lady Cheeses, what are so, what, why are so many cheeses here made by women? What are the, what are those cheeses? I want to go out and find them. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about cheese making culture here and what's so special about it. So it's generally acknowledged uh, that the first, Ireland's first modern farmhouse cheese was Malines, which was made by a lady named Veronica Steele. And that was in 1978. Veronica Steele sounds like a romance novelist, first of all. Second of all, how do you spell Malines? M-I-L-E-E-N. Okay. Um, and uh, and it, Malines is still being made by her son uh, in the wilds of West Cork. Um, it's a really interesting cheese um, because it's not a cheese that you would necessarily think of as being particularly Irish tasting. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, when I think of an Irish tasting cheese, I think of something more along the lines of a cheddar. Yeah, sure. Um, whereas Malines is a semi-soft washed rind cheese. Um, it's super funky. Um, it's kind of mushroomy. Uh, it's got an, like the, the rind is orange and it really resembles in flavor um, this French cheese called Epoise, mm. which I adore it. It's one of these cheeses that you feel like is going to sort of walk out the door because it's that funky, but I love funky cheeses. There's a lot of bacteria hanging out in yeah. there. Um, and how, when you say it was, it's generally acknowledged as one of Ireland's first farmhouse cheeses? Not what? even one of the. Okay. And yeah. so what does that mean? When did it sort of start production or? 1978. Um, okay. And Veronica was, uh, she was doing her master's in Trinity um, in philosophy. So she didn't come from a family of farmers or cheesemakers? She did not. Uh, she came from a family of socialists and sociologists. Ooh. Um, and uh, Norman was also, I believe, teaching philosophy at Trinity and Cork, and they fell in love. So she absconded. And basically, Norman Steele, his notion was in the 70s that he just wanted to be like alone in the wilds thinking. And, uh, and Veronica realized that she needed to feed herself and Norman if they were going to do that. And they had one cow. Um, it was a one-horned cow called Brisket. What? And Veronica started making these cheeses to barter for other things, so for vegetables and fish. And this was the wow. West Cork culture. It was all, you know, very well-educated hippies, essentially. Um some of them return to the land kind of return stuff. land kind of stuff. Some some Irish, some not, some European, some English, um, and you know, and that I think that it's again people will call Cork the cradle of modern Irish artisanal food culture, um, and yeah, they were bartering around and 
I just wanted to mention that May has extensively interviewed Veronica, Veronica Steele. So she's talking <laughs> firsthand knowledge here. Um, so Veronica Steele, who I cannot not see as an international lady of mystery with that name. I love it. Um, she so she started making this cheese. Now her son took over. And did, did she... Was she part of or aware of a network of other women making cheese or did it, did it kind of spring up organically here and there? I think, well, um, Veronica, there were, we should have, Veronica used to like to call, Veronica and uh, used to like to call them, refer to these three women as the sort of the witches of West Cork. Uh, and that would have been herself, um, a fish smoker called Sally Barnes, and um, over in East Cork, um, Darina Allen. Uh, and they were all around the same age, um, and and they became. I think they sort of organically became aware of each other. Um, they're coming from really similar backgrounds. Also, um, most of them have traveled, very well educated. You know, so and um, so consciously starting these projects of returning to land and rediscovering Irish food, and I think also less maybe with Darina, but I think in a certain way with Sally and Veronica, just rebelling against the system. They're just, you know, they were just socialists who hmm. wanted to do something different and and made some funky, funky cheese and made some funky, funky cheese. And so like so. OK, so that was in the 70s. Um, and so who else cropped up in terms of lady cheeses after Veronica Steele's Moline? Well, Jeffa Gill would probably be um, definitely who who has Gubin. Oh, um, Gubin's quite famous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Gubin's one of the most famous cheeses, I think, in Ireland at the moment. There there were quite oh, a few Jeff, women. Sorry, and, and Gianna. Gianna. That's okay, we can go back and do yeah. it. You can always cut yeah. that out. What? So what do you want to go back and... Sorry, it's... Yeah, I keep thinking... So, yeah, no, it's... Gianna Ferguson is Gubin. Um, and that was in the... In the 80s. The though. 80s. Um, and again... Um, she marries, so she fell in love with cheeses when she was abroad in Europe. Um, and uh, her husband have, you know, a, had a lovely, it's, you know, a combination of, I'd say, like an estate and a working farm. You know, it's a beautiful property. Um, so they had the facilities to get. Yeah, the facilities. It was a fun, And it was a family farm for several generations but she's the cheesemaker she's the cheesemaker because they yeah they were previously i believe selling dairy they were they were selling milk um and i think they 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 definitely did other things on the farm but jeffa because she fell in love with european style cheeses when she was abroad in france and italy she came back and wanted to do it. So she is the cheesemaker of the family. And and this is Gabine we're talking about. Gabine. And, and then, Gabine is a what style cheese? Gabine is sort a, of a... Is, is it, it like a Gouda style? I was going to say it's like an Adam, isn't it? Yeah. Sort of. It's, it's, yeah, it's for me, it tastes very Dutch. Yeah. Um, and... And okay, the, so there's kind of a pattern emerging here of like the, these these female cheeses, female female cheeses is a crazy grosser than lady cheese somehow. <laughs> of um, these women led, women produced cheeses, it actually makes it just sound like something made out of breast milk. I can't. Uh, how do we how do we do this? <laughs> these lady, we'll just stick to lady cheese. Lady cheese. Okay. From the pregnant lady. Okay. From exactly who's about to <laughs> the about milk to, maker. I'm about to enter the dairy industry big time. Um, I'm about 40 weeks pregnant for those of you who can't see me. Um, so 
the these a pattern emerges amongst these lady cheese producers of actually not making traditional Irish cheeses in a sense, as you said, like no, not the nutty, cheddary, hard cheeses that you associate with Ireland, but kind of, I don't know, creating a space of um, invention based on things that they'd encounter in their travels, kind of having a liberty in their in their practice. That's true, except also one of the things that Veronica pointed out was um, it takes a lot of milk to make a kilo of cheddar. I'll keep that in mind when I'm making my breast milk cheese. Go ahead. Sorry, it's gross. It takes um, a lot less milk to make something that's semi-soft. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. And so that was informing her decision. She, you know, loved, you know, the vintage cheddars and all that. Kind of makes sense when you say that because so much more has to evaporate. Yeah. And another thing is there, there, there was an introduction of milk quotas in Ireland. So people had couldn't produce as much milk. So they needed to make it as um, add more value to the milk they were producing. So, so they need to do something with the milk, not yeah. just sell it. You couldn't produce as much as you wanted. So it was you had a strict quota. So then because you had to produce less, you had to say, well, how do I add more value to this to less my... amount? So mm-hmm. cheese was... An option. But one interesting thing is as Irish people started traveling, because obviously there was an industrial cheese and there's always been a lot of industrial cheese being produced in in Ireland in the 70s and even today. But um, people started finding cheeses in Europe, coming here, and then Europeans would come here and fall in love with Cork and buy farms. And apparently at that time, the land was a lot cheaper than it is now. So it was an interesting proposition for maybe a German family to come here and settle in in West Cork. And start making cheese? And have a farm. Imagine you lived in a town and I don't know, in Germany, and you wanted to have more of a rural lifestyle. Ireland was a beautiful place to come and live. And it was cheaper than Finland. So you may be describing more expat... Sorry, excuse me. You're maybe describing more expat consumers for these kinds of European style no, cheeses. No, I'm talking about some of the farmers because some of these farmers were, some of them were foreigners and they were also influ- influencing each other, like maybe from uh, Dutch style cheese and looking at rice cheese. So, I mean, uh, for example, Silke Krop um, of Corlegi. Sorry, Silke, if I've mispronounced your name, but she, uh, Silke is Dutch. Um, I think the people from Kalia, they're Dutch. Um, so those would be two examples of sort of expat produced cheese, especially Silka is an institution. Um, and what's the name of her cheese again? Corleggi. Corleggi. Oh, yeah, I've heard of Corleggi. Yeah. So w- what are some of your favorite lady cheeses? I love Duras. What's and Duras? I can't pronounce it. Uh, Duras is like a, a soft cheese. It's a cow's milk. Um, I would say it's kind of like Brioche Camembertis. Mm. And it's... Um, it's Duras, and they make a small one, and it's in Irish. It's called Og. My daughters know how to pronounce it because they speak a little bit of Irish. But beautiful. Uh, Og, I love that one. I also love Culia, and Culia is very popular in Madrid. Isn't that incredible that you can find Culia in a lot of the high-end uh, cheesemongers in Madrid? It's a very popular cheese. And Culia is also kind of an Adam style cheese, yeah. isn't it? Um, and so, what you think the Spanish have latched on to Culia for? What reason? I don't know. I think. Um, Irish cheeses are so phenomenal that the, the quality is so high that they've become very, very popular in in Spain. Spain has a lot of fantastic cheeses, but yeah. I wouldn't say that we're the farmhouse. We're more of a DOP denomination of origin country where it, within the denomination of origin, like, for example, Manchego, you would have industrial cheeses 
and more artisanal cheeses. Right. And that whole world is super regulated. So do you think maybe that's another reason why there's been this space for innovation in Ireland is because the DOP, it's not a culture of DOP regulation, right? Cheeses are associated with places. They're regional, but they're not, you, um, you could, you could make a cheese called, I don't know how to describe this. So the DOP is basically, it regulates. You can't call something Manchego that's not Manchego. It needs to come from a region and it needs to be made with the breed, you know, this a specific breed. So and, so the, and in Ireland, do they not do that? Or? There's only one cheese in Ireland. I think it's Regato that is under a DOP. Okay, so that means that you have more liberty to Probably. come up with new cheeses, or I think that's also this idea of the farmhouse culture, because I, I'm, you know, Ireland has, you know, these the farmhouses are sort of independently run, and I think again going back to lady cheesemakers. Um, there was always a tradition of women having, you know, these cottage industries that mm. were sort of auxiliaries to the farm and where women were, you know, using certain things available on the farm to supplement the earnings. So um, beer making, I think, for a while was an incredibly pop, you know, a popular cottage industry. And there were many, you know, women beer makers. And you would have like so the man year. would be running the main part of the farm, exactly. or the main industry of the farm. And then the woman would have this little side business. Exactly. Um Chickens would be another. I, uh, I I find it hilarious that the tending of chickens by women is called husbandry. <laughs> um, and but yeah, beer and chickens. I think, and also, but um, which is like just like women opening their coat at the market and being like, "You you want a chicken? You want chicken? <laughs> like I've got chickens." Um, dairy too, which was which um, helped a lot. I think during World War II, when sort of the rest of Europe was suffering from egg and dairy deprivation, you have Irish housewives just stocking up on the eggs and the dairy. And... Well, look at the story of uh, Victoria Steele, as you described it, what she did with one cow. Yeah. Right? That actually you can spin a spin a business out of a cow. And the other thing that all the hippies in West Cork were doing were bartering. What was the cow's name again? Brisket. Brisket. That's so good. Yeah. Veronica was a witty lady. A good namer. Yeah. Um... I might take that for my daughter. <laughs> um, the and, beer brewers, I'd love to meet some of the beer brewers here in Ireland, the female ones. They seem very interesting. Well, beer is definitely something that's associated more with men, isn't it? I mean, just distillery culture generally and the beer nerds, beer culture. Um, it's, it's such a male-dominated world. And yet here, you know, I'm, I don't know whether it has to do with the fact that, that's you know, the, same 18th, idea. the 19th century of like cottage industry and, you know, women making beer. Um, but here you've got lady brewers, you've got lady, like whiskey, you know, like la oh, ladies lady and whisk whiskey, lady whiskey, um, Shanine Sullivan is super cool for, you know, all things lady whiskey. Um, we'll definitely have to come back to that. We'll have yeah. an episode on lady whiskey. That sounds maybe great. Maybe after you, maybe after you've delivered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I can hit that whiskey. Um, great. Is there anything else that we want to say about lady cheeses? Oh, I was going to say that um, Duras I love, um, and it comes. Oh yeah, in back this, to back to our recommendations. Yeah, to, it comes. What are in, some um, of the What are some of the lady cheeses that you love? But I love Duras. It comes in that little wooden box. You can throw it in the oven, and it just melts into this goop, which is simply sublime. Ooh, like a trashy baked brie, but high end Irish. Exactly, high end Irish baked brie. Oh, I love that. I love I love the idea. I there was a cheese. Um, that I tried recently called Bally Lisk. 
Oh, that's the Funky Breeze from style. Nor- it's from Northern, Northern Ireland. Ireland. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if it's made by a woman or a man or a combination of men and women, but it it is a very French tasting cheese to me. Tastes like Shawas kind of. Uh, it's a triple cream. Is it triple cream? Okay. Yeah, it's a triple cream and it's, yeah, it just doesn't taste like what you expect from an English or an Irish cheese, right? That hard nutty kind of range of cheeses. And it is kind of exciting that that there is this incredibly wide range of expressions of cheese that can come out of, you know, come out of this place. I think we tend to be so tied to, we, we tend to kind of think of the idea of DOPs as authentic, right? This is the place of Manchego, or this is the place of this and that. But actually the fact that in Northern Ireland, someone's coming up with a triple cream, soft cheese, you know, that's, it's really exciting actually, that there's this kind of freedom, freedom to mess around in Ireland and, and freedom to enter the market. Um, two things. First of all, Ballylisk is not a raw milk cheese, just in case anyone was listening to that. Julia, pregnant Julia being a little a little tentative. Oh, yeah. No, don't worry. Yeah. I'm not, get, I'm not yeah. getting any um, listeria from it. I've been eating tons of that stuff. Uh, and um, oh, but when I moved to this country um, and I feel like, you know, the last seven years has been tremendously exciting in Ireland. Right. You know, just evolve, you know, evolving as a food culture. But the thing that was established really established when I moved here was Sheridan's cheeses, right? Oh. And it was just mm. a cut above pretty much anything, not only in this country, but just even just, you know, for me coming from New York, I mean, Sheridan's is amazing. And it was this, you know, it's Galway. It, they had the shop in Galway that they shop in Dublin. And it was this sort of nexus of the best of the Europeans with like and nurture the nurturing the best of Irish and putting um, putting the best of Irish on a platform with the Europeans exactly. I'm That's really interesting. I didn't know that Sheridan's was such a recent uh, business. I thought I assumed it had been around since the dawn of you know since like FX Buckley a Buckley style since the 1890s or something. Interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, if you think about the first modern you know farmhouse cheese in Ireland being 1978. Yeah, right. Good call. So everything. So that idea of artisanal is in this country, for me, quite recent. Yeah, that's that's right? really craft beer, recent. yeah, whiskey, all this, you know, all of this stuff. The artisanal is is recent. So, if you were to go to Sheridan's and you wanted to try some of the most exciting cheeses um, produced in this new kind of artisanal, newish artisanal space, um, what would you buy? What would you ask for? What would you ask to try or buy? Oh, I guess a mixture. But I, I do love, even though like Cashel Blue is more like a bigger cheese and it's pasteurized. But I, I do love also Cashel Blue. There's like Wicklow Blue. There's a lot of blue cheeses made in Ireland that are very, very good. But you can get a very nice cheese platter uh, with all these different types of cheeses, you know, more like Alpine cheeses or more like wash rind. I think so you'd go so, in and say, make me a platter. Well, sometimes I do. I mean, what what is really cool about Sheridan's and is that you can go into a Dunn's and try all the cheeses and say, I want to try that one and I want to try that one. And they're very, very accommodating. And a lot of the times they have all the cheeses there that you can try. So, but yeah, I normally ask them. They're very good about yeah. recommendations. Go in and, and have I a chat. I love their brown bread uh, crackers. I'm totally addicted to those. I mm. want the recipe. Okay. Good to know. I've got a box of them on my counter. Um, I I'm in a huge goat milk cheese phase, but I'm always in a goat's milk cheese phase. So mm, I goat. I love goat. Um, so I don't know whether I'm pronouncing it right, but Ardsley. Ard- Ard- Ardsley. 
Artisala? Is it Artisala? Which is a lady cheese. All right. Oh, yeah. And uh, and she started making goat's milk cheese because her do- her son, sorry, her son's doctor uh, told her that it was good for his eczema. So, and this was before goat's milk had really, you know, they say it's an acquired taste. I've always pretty much loved it. But, you know, in Ireland, people weren't really do- doing the goat's milk thing. And so she's, she started feeding her son goat's milk, and then she started making the cheese. Interesting. Yeah. So that's another kind of strange story of the role of mothers as carers or wives as feeders evolving into business. That's really cool. And it's a delicious cheese. It's a delicious cheese. Art, how do you spell it? Uh-oh, Artis- should I not Artisala, ask? Artisala. <laughs> A-R-D-A-S. I think A-R-D-S-A-L-A-G-H. Okay, thereabouts. Thereabouts. Cool. Google it. <laughs> Google it. A Ireland goat's milk yeah, cheese. Yeah, there you go. That sounds them. fantastic. I'll definitely go ask for that. Um, cool. And one one interesting thing also about Irish cheeses is even if you don't know they're made by women, you can tell they're more like feminine than a lot of the cheeses. I don't know. I'm accustomed to like the the Manchegos or Samoranos, whatever, that are more like cheeses that you can go to a war with. They're very compact. They're very hard. And in Ireland, the cheeses are more like feminine and like just lighter in in a way, I guess, because they use, you know, the ones in Spain, it's really concentrated. The, The cheese is very concentrated. So I do like that lightness or femininity of of Irish cheeses, of farm farmhouse cheeses. I think that's a you thing because yeah. I would or I would just say I would just say I think the idea of um of of genderizing uh, the extent to which a cheese is compact or something is really strange because to my mind actually you might say that a really stinky epoise a really stinky melty funky cheese um is an aggressive in your face cheese whereas you know a subtle hard cheese is lady like you know what i mean it's like that's a it's a it's a funny way to characterize the actual cheese versus you know the production of it although i think what the one thing because i would tend to agree with you jules but the one thing that Blanca did say is a cheese that you would go to war with. Yes. Right? That I was like, yeah, like you can you know pack what? it in your rucksack and you can go and shoot sure. the other side. Yeah. And that that makes that suddenly made sense to me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm associating it because in Spain a lot of the cheeses were made uh, as we reco- as we did the reconquest of land. Oh. People had to travel with the cheese. So you sure. couldn't be traveling with a triple cream. You had to travel no, with a manchego. So so I don't know. I associate these cheeses more with like picnics, you know, and Manchego and Zamorano and all these hard cheeses. I associate them more with like a Roman Empire, like war. I don't know. That's funny. <laughs> I was thinking it'd be very interesting if we could do an event where we have all the cheeses in Ireland produced by women and accompany them with um, beers produced by women. Because I've heard there's a lot of beer brewers in Ireland that are female. And maybe we could invite only women. <laughs> I'm not so keen on the only women, but um, but lady brewers and lady cheese count me in. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, because after all, these ladies want to, they're, they're running businesses. They need that man money. Yeah, definitely. Um, great. But in any event, I've, I've got an extended list now of uh, lady cheeses to go check out. So this is exciting. Thanks a lot. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.